Welcome to the WA Property Q&A, the podcast where I explore the ins and outs of buying property in Western Australia. I'm your host, Peter Fletcher, and each week I interview local property experts to help you to develop a deep understanding of the nuances of buying property in WA. From market trends to legal considerations, no topic is off limits. But before we dive in, a friendly reminder, while we provide valuable information, it's important to note that nothing discussed in this podcast should be construed as personal investment advice. Always remember to seek the appropriate professional advice for your specific circumstances. Now, let's get started and unlock the secrets to successful property buying in WA. So, Jason, welcome. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me in for the podcast. Yeah, no, welcome. Now, for those of uh, who haven't met you, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm Jason Cotton. I've uh, owned a building inspection business called Select Property Inspections. So I've been carrying out inspections now for, this is my 12th year, uh, and in my own right, in my own business now for about four to five years. Uh, and prior to that, was with another company for around about seven, seven and a half years. And that's where I really cut my teeth, but then really developed more in the game after that and, in, and into my own business. Yep. Yep. So you know property inspections very, very well. And for those of you who haven't met me, my name's Peter Fletcher. I'm a real estate agent and a settlement agent. And uh, I first started in real estate in 1985. So I've been going around for a while. And uh, I currently own Resi, where we do property conveyancing and buyer's agency. And we partner with Jason, who does all of our building inspections, structural inspections. Now, Jason, today I want to unpack the big problem of chemical delignification. What's the other name for that? It's sometimes called fluffy batten. Fluffy batten. Fluffy Batten, I know, it's, it's, a, it's a neat little cute name, isn't it? Oh, sounds nice. And, and hairy timber as well? I haven't heard that as often, but hairy timber, and you look at it in two different ways there, you can, it's a bit masculine, isn't it, hairy timber, as oh. opposed to fluffy batten? Fluffy batten, hairy timber, who knows? So maybe the more manly guys call it hairy timber in the industry. Rightio, okay. So this chemical delignification, now the... Where it shows up for us is it comes through on a on on a structural report, like. And my question is, do you put it on your reports? It does get flagged. You, I mean, it's something that comes up. It's quite an obvious. It's obvious when you look at it, and and you need to flag that so that people are aware of it, and and then denote it, kind of a mark on how serious it is. Okay, we better explain it to people who are listening in at home. Or watching, like what? What is it? Where is it? What does it look like? And why is it a problem? Okay, well, I guess where is it? Where is it? We find it in roof cavities, and predominantly it is on the battens that support the tiles underneath the the roof cover, the roof lining. Battens generally are hard timber, hard wood. In almost all instances, it's almost rare as hen's teeth to find it in any other type of wood. It's really the hard wood that we have here in WA, the Jarrah, most likely or predominantly. Uh, we find it in, in those battens. Also, in line with that, we find it with clay tiles. I've only, in my time, have only ever seen it once with respect to concrete tiles. It's almost, so 99% of the time it's with clay tiles. And we, we find it on roof pitches that generally face west. 
So we get a little bit of moisture or ingress driven by the, our weather systems here coming in off the coast. And the, the moisture that permeates through from the west tends to have a, a show an effect on the west sides of the properties on their roof pitches and, and battens. So, so what is this hairy timber, what is it, what is it, furry batten? Fluffy batten. Fluffy batten or chemical delignification. What, what does it look like? Well, it can be, it's quite striking and it can look quite alarming. It looks like melting timber. So if, if you're in a cave and you can see, you know, stalactites hanging down from the roof, you have that, a very similar effect uh, with, the, with the timber, depending on how bad it is. Uh, sometimes it just looks like a, the surface discoloration, you know, from a darker color to a more caramel or lighter color in the timber. And then once it really starts to grab hold and affect the timber, it then starts to fluff it up and, and start to look like it's um, expanding and becoming almost like a liquid, like it, it's sort of pouring off the timber. Okay. So this fluffy batten, does it affect the, the structural integrity of the, or does it affect the timber itself? What, what, it looks bad, yeah. but does it affect the timber itself? Well, let's, um, have, let's talk about what is chemical D-Lig with respect to the effect on timber. So what we have in timber, we have a chemical composition within the timber cell that has a polymer. So in all plant materials, the polymer uh, lignin is what glues the the plant together. Uh, And so no less in timber. You know, with timber or hardwood, we have, obviously we have that in that material. And that's what makes it a a solid piece of um, timber. Uh, Now, the the lignin, what we have seen anecdotally in some of the various readings that I've done and, and watching, you know, various YouTube type seminars and things like that. The, the, the general note here is that sodium chloride or, 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 an, or a salt mm-hmm. is what causes the de- destruction of the, the lignin in the timber. In the, where, where does that salt come from? Well, we're coastal here. Almost all of our population sits on the coast. Uh, and we have a history too of, of having tiled roofs, double brick tiled roofs, you know, more so in the last 20 years or 30 years. We've actually peeled off a lot of these tiled roofs particularly clay tile and put colour bond on. But we have a beautiful history here of heritage homes and California-style bungalows with clay tiled roofs. And, and as I said, most of our population sits on the coast or close to the coast. So, so are you saying that the, the, the salt comes through the, the, the tiles onto the battens? Yeah, well, is, the, that, is that what you're saying? The salt we have, uh, you know, there's always a level of salt in, in the air here blown up out of the sea spray and drifting across the urban areas. So we have that, uh, it can permeate through the tiles and through the tile itself, in fact. So we have a moss buildup on the tile. We can get moisture traveling through the clay tile and then that can cause um, spalling on the underside of the tile within the roof cavity. Spalling, can you, can you explain spalling? So disintegration of the tile, essentially. It becomes quite fretting t- or spalling. So flaky. Okay, so the underside of the tile becomes flaky. That's correct, yeah. And, and it starts to leach, is that fair to say, leach onto the timber? That's, my, that's what I, my understanding is. But the, at the point at which that, the, the deterioration of the tile or the, the fretting or spalling, that's where the tile overlaps. So it overlaps back across the batten to hold it in place, but where the top tile overlaps onto that one as well to create that, that seal or that, that runoff so there's no run back. But when we have, you know, quite 
strong weather patterns coming through, a lot of sea spray, a lot of moisture in the air. And it's particularly when it's coming in off the coast westward, it can push up under the tiles and the moisture can transfer through those gaps through the, through the tile. So not always, it's not always um, seen with, the, with moss on tiles, but the moss on top clay tiles does act like a sponge and it does create moisture, like a high moisture content in the tile over a period of time. And then that transfers through as well. Okay. So as a, as a bit of a segue, and we probably should do this at the end rather than in the middle, is we, to stop chemical delignification in, on battens, it makes sense to keep your roof clean. Is that what you're saying? Keep it free from moss and keep it clean? Yeah. So watching your, your roof cover over a period of time and then attending to it by pressure cleaning it, even something as simple as just using a, a nice bristle broom and, and some, um, you know, a soapy solution with a, a little bit of vinegar in it can, can clean those tiles off as well. Or you can go, you know, the whole hog and, and pressure clean it, depending on how bad it is. The worst cases I've seen have been where the, the tiles were in really leafy suburbs, quite shaded, lots of moisture in those areas through winter. And then typically again, through summer, when we have um, heavy dews in the morning, the west side also of the roof cover doesn't tend to dry off until later in the day as well. Um, so yeah, keeping, keeping on top of uh, a clay tile roof with its, um, you know, keeping the moss off, it's pretty important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, all right. So we've got chemical delignification, this hairy timber, there's a fluffy batten, fluffy batten. At this stage, is the, is the batten compromised? Is it, is it weakened? What's the effect? Well, I've been giving this a bit of thought to try and have you know, the listeners get in their mind, what can they relate to, to understand how the timber is affected by this? And my, one of the, I guess one of the ideas that I could put in people's minds is if you roll up a newspaper, roll it up as tight as you can, bind it with some sticky tape around the outsides, and then with a little spray water bottle, Spray the surface of it, let it dry, spray the surface of it, you know, do it over a period of time. And then have a look at the effect on the surface of the paper rolled up. That'll start to expand. But if you pick that up and you try and bend it in half, it's not going to bend in half because you've got all of the strength within that rolled up newspaper. So battens, very similarly, when we've got issues with fluffy batten, you can scrape back the surface and you'll find that generally a cup, a few mil, depending on how bad that uh, lingon has been attacked through the surface of the timber. Well, you, you'll find that the integrity of the timber is almost entirely intact, almost entirely. Okay. So the fluffing effect is really, it really exaggerates the problem um, because you're really only looking at a few mils of the surface material of the timber that's being affected. Yep. Okay. Now, I would imagine that there's going to be a couple of real estate agents listening to this. And um, so, in terms of the report, you wouldn't put that on the report unless it was somehow significant. How would it become significant if it, if it's like, you know, why would it become significant if it's not causing any, any, da any, well, it's not causing any structural damages. Are we saying that? Well, I've not come across an instance where it would be flagged as, is the timber has so weakened that it's not supporting the tiles. And I'm also considering um, being able to move across freely across those tiles if you're working on the roof. So a normal activity might just simply be cleaning gutters and you want to get up on the roof and know you're not going to fall through a weakened batten and collapse through the tiles. 
So no, I've not come across any instances where I would be able to flag an instance where I would say this is a major a major defect, um, flag it in in red in my reporting, and make it aware to people that they shouldn't be walking across the roof cover. I mean, I would do that with a structural defect when it comes to an issue with rafters, uh, for instance, where you would know that the area is weakened, so a person might actually fall through the roof if they were to get up on there, particularly if they're carrying tools or any other equipment. But not with not with battens. I just haven't come across it. I've come some of the worst instances I've come across. I've scraped back with a steel rule back to the timber, and the batten has all still has its square edges, uh, and it is still solid timber. You can give it a really good hit with a, with the end of a screwdriver, and it just leaves a, a little indentation. Jay, so I've seen some reports come through, and because uh, some some inspectors they in, they just seem to love including uh, chemical delignification on their reports. Like it's just a, uh, there's chemical delignification on there and they, they just think that they've, they've got to report it. And I've seen some battens where you've got the delignified timber, but it's also got a sag in it. Is, is it the case that there are, there are some battens that are actually affected by other forms of defect, such as, you know, I, I'm not sure you're more uh, across this than me, you know, some sort of rot or, you know, sort of moisture damage or something. Is it, is that, would that be the case? Look, it depends on the angle that you're looking at the, the roof framing well, or well, roof can I, cover. Can I, sorry to interrupt. Could, could I ask the question a different way? Is there other things that would cause battens to bow? It would do, but the, as I mentioned, it depends on how you're looking at the roof. So from within a roof cavity, when you're looking up and you're looking at the rafters and the spacings of the rafters, that's not going to be visible by the eye. You really aren't going to see sagging battens, you know, in a, in a space large enough to look at, stand back and go, well, what's causing that? So if you look at it from the reverse angle and you're outside of the roof cavity, looking down the uh, roof pitch from one end to the other, mm. uh, slightly back, and we can get some reasonable photos that show the tile line, the uh, clay tile line or any tile line, um, showing a, a dip or some movement um, across that line. It, it can also be picked up on um, colour bond roofs and, and items that you might have on there, for instance, um, solar panels. So you can actually see solar panels flexing across the span of the roof cover. Mm-hmm. Um, that normally, uh, look, it normally identifies a couple of things. Uh, sometimes it can, without that additional weight, such as um, solar panels and, and those types of things, it can generally just indicate that we've got some long spans of unsupported roof cover. Right. Yep. So yep. We, when we're really grilling down to what's causing deflections in, in the, the line of a roof cover or, yeah, we're looking at long spans and mm. some flexing in the timbers. But we look at that quite closely and we d- make a determination to see if it's general um, deflection from seasoning of timbers or if we've got detached timbers, uh, detached under purlins and split under purlins that are causing that, then, we, yep. then we're looking definitely at looking That's at- That's a whole different problem. Yeah, it's right. a different problem. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Okay. Now, I want to come back to chemical D-lig and battens. Now, the REWA major structural defects annexure specifically brackets out roof coverings as part of the structure. Yeah? We, we, we both know that. Right. Yeah. Yep. So- um, you know, in, in this structural annexure, it says that uh, roof covering is excluded from the report. 
And indeed, that is reflected in the Australian standard, where it specifically brackets out the roof covering. Now, my question to you is, is, are the battens part of the roof covering or are they part of the structure? Well, it could be argued that they assist one another to a degree, but when we're looking at structural elements within the front, like within a building, that, that it doesn't, is not defined as one of them. So battens are there as part of the roof lining system. So roof cover, roof lining. Mm-hmm. Um, we may have different sizes and styles, different materials, but they are all um, in line with what the type of material is being used for roof lining. Uh, we have distinct structural components within the roof cavity being under purlins, struts, props, toms, rafters. Yep. They, they are carrying the load of, of the roof cover. So, And the roof cover consists of battens and tiles, battens and colour bond, uh, and, and, that, that, and alike. So, okay, so for all those, those inspectors who love putting chemical delignification on a report and scaring potential buyers, there's a question mark whether you whether that's a, even a structural element. And, and what you're saying, and I've heard this before, that roof battens aren't, are not a structural element. Well, that's not how I view it. And, and if you look closely at the definitions of what a structural element is, it's not included. So yeah. it's, but it's for all of the inspectors out there, everyone has an opinion about something. You know, and we look, we can look at the roof cover and say, well, that's a big, significant load, clay tile, you know, it's got this on it, got that on it. Um, no, I'm going to include battens. I'll make it a structural issue. I think the best uh, compromise we can make here is that if we're going to look at issues with battens being perhaps problematic because of the chemical D-League and, and how bad it looks, mark it up as a, as a noted item that potentially could be a minor defect or even a major defect. Draw it away from structural defect. Yeah. Okay. So for those watching on at home, there is a difference between a major defect, or which shall we say there's there's variances in the degree of defects. So there's minor defects, there's major defects, and then there's major structural defects. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. And and I'm thinking that this this will be a, you know might be something that we could use in a in a future episode. But let's just unpack for a little bit major structural defects. What what, what are you which talking about there where it's a major structural defect? I guess classic examples are older buildings with uh, lesser supported roof members, roof framing members under Perlin. So we ha- we've got homes across WA that through the 60s and early 70s where we had the beginnings of open plan living. And they were always tucked away in the front right hand, left hand corner of a home with a great big open lounge across to the kitchen. And in that point, you can look up at that point and say, well, under where this hip rafter is, where's the support for it? And if you get into the roof cavity, what you'll find is you've got your rafters being knocked uh, or being, they're set in position and they're kept in position with the underperlins. And then often the underperlins themselves aren't supported until you get to a wall nearby, which could be four, three or four meters across one underperlin and, and vice, you know, on the opposite side, exactly the same. Yep. So they so, may put in some strapping, some steel adjustable strapping. So Jace, let, let me come back to the, the, the definition of a major structural defect, because that's, that's pretty important in terms of, of a, of a property of a real estate contract in WA, because 
the definition of a major structural defect rolls back to the real major structural defects annexure, which most contracts sure. use. So what's your definition of a major structural defect? I'm putting you on the spot yeah. here. Uh, you, you, I, you, I I'm looking around. I wish I brought notes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, I guess because we see it every day and we can make that determination every day. In my mind, when we look at something that is a structural defect and, and you can see it, know it, put it down and it's a cookie cutter item. But it, 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 for me, it's, it goes something like it's a, it's a defect, which if left unattended is going to cause either a major deterioration or a risk to someone's safety. Yeah. Is, I think. Is that fair enough? Yeah. But I would probably put in front of that, is that particular item going to cause a structural failure? Is it already beginning to fail? Yeah. Have we got a scenario here where we can see it's failing, but if it tend, if it, if the tendency is to continue failing, is that part of the, the roof framing likely going to collapse? Mm-hmm. And we would say definitely. If, if it's not performing its intended purpose as a structural element, if it's starting to deviate from that to a point where we are looking at already looking at having to do repairs, what's going to happen if we let, let that go and don't attend to it? Mm. We'll have failure. Yeah. Okay. So... So just to round it out in terms of the chemical D-lig, what, what, what I think you're saying and what I'm hearing is that hairy timber, fluffy batten, chemical delignification that is apparent is not a major structural defect, even though it looks terrible. That's right. So it's a material defect in, in essence. So we, and we can almost put that into the minor defect because material defects, whether in corrosion, it sits firmly in, in that category that we have general deterioration caused by the environmental elements and it's not affecting the structural integrity of the timber. And I would say to those who might doubt me and, and haven't done it themselves, when you're in a roof cavity uh, as, a, as an inspector, take up with you a steel rule, um, take a photograph of what you're looking at, scrape it all back as best you can, take another photograph of it because you'll definitely see how it's still um, almost entirely intact apart from the surface damage from the, the lingon being attacked and give it a good knock with a nice big flat blade screwdriver. See if you can drive it through it. If you can push that screwdriver through that timber, it's failing. Mm. And that's how we test other issues with timber when we have instances of timber rot or termite damage. So good. So if, if it isn't a major structural defect then, therefore under the major structural defects, there is no the buyer would have no um, right to issue a structural defects notice because there is no structural defect. Even though like some alarmist building inspector has, has said there's hairy timber and it's terrible, there's no structural defect. Therefore, there's no reason they, they can give a structural defects notice. For that, in that scenario, but also because we're not looking at it as a structural member or a structural yeah. element, yeah, it's still considered part of the roof covering yeah. uh, and roof lining system. Yeah. Okay. Now, I think we've covered that pretty well. Now, I just want to cover what something that you've just talked about in terms of um, a may a a safety defect, and I'm talking here ceilings. Now, ceilings are another one that is not included or excluded from 
the major in the major structural defects and the rewa major structural defects and yeah so it's it's bracketed out so the ceilings can be bowing like anything it's not a major structural defect but it is a well, we would still note it as a major defect and and likely if it's depending on how how much sagging there is and what weight we're looking at plaster glass you know a whole section of ceiling uh, or if it's just in uh, sections uh, which are standalone because they're giprock you know they're giprock sections uh we we would depend it depend really we'd look at this i have flagged it as a safety defect and in fact in one room i went climbed out of the roof cavity and said to the fellow sitting in the middle of the room in his armchair with a giant bag of maltesers watching middle of the day television i don't know what it was and i said mate Get out. You might want to hop out of this room because the only thing in this room that's holding this ceiling in position are the cornices. Wow. There is not one area that I can tell that's that is bad. still connected to the yeah. patterns. But Sorry, the, so to the joists. But the fact is that, that from what I understand, and I've just had some sort of personal experience about this, reconnecting ceilings to the ceiling. Is it the ceiling joists? Yeah. Is that right? Joists, yeah. Yeah, good. I'm not a builder, but we'll have a crack here. So reconnecting the ceiling to the ceiling joist isn't a particularly big, onerous, or expensive job. Is that is no, that fair to say? It's it's it is it's not onerous. No, I think it can be handled. It can even be handled by one person. Yeah, so, you, you can buy ceiling lifters from Bunnings, can't you? Well, I believe that that's the case. You can yeah, hire them and acro props, and yeah. then you can stick on top of that flat board and push it up in sections of flat board. So you, you know, so you're gripping. A nice span in, in, and span out the acro props and just jack them all up slowly until you get it back nice and level. Yeah. So, so what I'm what I'm getting to here is that if somebody goes, oh my god, the the ceilings are sagging, you know, like the world is is going to, you know, this this house is falling apart on me. It's not really. It's it's just a, one of those um, decorative elements that need to be. Repaired, repaired, ma- almost maintained and maintained. In essence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've got a couple because you've got your different two types of ceiling materials. Some are more easily pushed back up flush, and others you would suggest just restrapping in situ. So you can put use plaster glass strapping on gyprock ceilings and hold it in position because you can imagine over a thirty year period, if one of those gyprock ceiling sections has bowed, um, and you you can stand under it, put your palm on it, and then push it. See if you can push it back up to the joist. You're going to be putting a lot of reverse pressure on that curve that's already been created over a long period of time. So it might just be uh, easier to, in that situation, use some plaster glass strapping and just grab it and glue it. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, in terms of future episodes, because we're we're just kind of winging this here, what what are you thinking in terms of what we could do in our next episodes? Oh, we can talk about lots of different things regarding um, stru- like structural. We can talk about structural elements. What, can, what are the ones that you see the most of? The most of, uh, well, yeah, ceilings. We've covered a lot today, actually. Like we've moved a little bit away into other areas of definitions of structural elements, the definitions of how we categorize defects. Look, we can talk about, uh, we can talk about perhaps building ceiling. So where do we seal the buildings? What's what's problem? What what when we get moisture ingress, how serious can it be? What should we be, what should we be looking out for? Okay. Yeah, that, that is what we will do on our next episode, Jason Cotton. Water. Ingress. Ingress. And which is, which is you know, people call it rising damp or penetrating damp or whatever it is. And it's usually from 
the shower into the hallway or into a, a, an adjoining bedroom and people look at it and go, oh my God, you know, this house is falling down. You know, like, so that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. Excellent. Does that sound good to you? That, that sounds really good. All right. So this has been great. Key takeaway for, from here is from your point of view. Look, don't be alarmed. If it comes through in a report and you see chemical D-leak, be a little bit more circumspect. If it comes through in your report and you're reading it and it says it's a structural defect, query, well, what's the integrity of the timber? How compromised is it to be a structural defect for a start um, and, and ask for it to be demonstrated? Uh, and secondly, look, you're looking at buildings that are 50 to 70 years of, of age. It, it could possibly be time to replace the tiles with a new roof lining or roof cover. So these, these are just normal considerations, particularly with buildings that are of age. Yep. Yep. That sounds good. And from my perspective, I would say that if you see chemical delignification on your building report, you probably don't have, and this is not legal advice, you probably don't have a reason to issue a structural defects notice. That's all for today. Jace. it's been great. Thanks for having until, me. Until next time. See you then. And that wraps up another episode of the WA Property Q&A. We hope you found our discussion valuable and gained some valuable insights into the world of property buying in Western Australia. Remember, while we strive to provide useful information, it's crucial to consult with the appropriate professionals before making any investment decisions. Don't forget to tune in next week for another exciting episode where we continue to unravel the mysteries of the WA property market. If you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. Until then, happy property hunting and remember to seek the right advice for your personal circumstances. Thank you for listening. Thank you.